Grace and peace to you all. I hope all is well. I hope we're having a good Sunday morning filled with time of worship and glory to our God. So good to see you here. If you're visiting with us, we want to welcome you. As Brother Charlie said a moment ago, we want to invite you to take out one of those cards that you see in front of you and fill that out. Uh, that's just so we can get to know you and you can get to know us and we can express our appreciation for you being here with us this morning. Several years ago, my mom received a package in the mail, and uh, we all saw it. We we're all gathered around. There was no return address on the package. Um, it was very odd, and we all gathered around, and she opened it, and when she opened it and saw what was in the package, she was shocked. It was her high school class ring that she had not seen for 30 years, and she began to tell us about a time when the last time she remembers seeing that ring, she left it in, I think it was her English class, on a desk, and she turned around for just a few moments and then turned back, and then the ring was gone. And she said that she's pretty sure that someone in the class took it, and then 30 years later mailed that ring back to her. How amazing. Now, why in the world, what would prompt somebody after 30 years of possessing that ring to mail it back to the person that they stole it from? Guilt. Guilt. It's the most likely reason that the ring was returned. Now, guilt, I think, is something that every single one of us has felt from one time or another. Guilt says, I have done something wrong. I have transgressed a standard in some way. I have violated a moral standard and I feel guilty. And what guilt brings, whenever we bear it, whenever we bear it on our shoulders, is a heavy, heavy weight. Guilt is very heavy on us. It, it's, it's like carrying a, an 80-pound pack of boulders, an 80-pound pack of rocks or bricks on your, on, on your back. Um, guilt is such a, a heavy, heavy burden to bear. Um, it's something that I've felt many, many times in, in my life. You know, as, as a preacher, I have many interactions with people, uh, you and, uh, and, and many, other, many other people, um, and I, have, I often have conversations uh, with, uh, with, with people, and sometimes I walk away from those conversations thinking, why in the world did I say what I said? You know, Keith, why did you have to open your big mouth and say it the way that you said? You know, maybe you have experienced that before, but that's something that I experience on a regular ba basis, wishing that I had said something different, or wishing that I hadn't uh, had, have said something uh, that, that I said. And it brings, it brings this guilt, it brings this heavy load on me that I have to bear. And sometimes we as Christians, we get stuck, even as Christians, we get stuck in this cycle of, 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 of guilt. Um, we, we do something wrong, and, and we don't deal with it in the proper way. We don't allow our guilt to take us to the foot of the cross where we can find grace and mercy and healing and forgiveness. But we, but we deal with guilt in an unhealthy way, 
in a way that God doesn't desire us to. You know, some, sometimes we, we deal with our guilt by shifting the blame. Sometimes we say when we've done something wrong, we point the finger and we say, ah, it was really the other person's fault. It was really the other person's fault. The other person is to blame, not so much me. Sometimes we do that. And we bear this low, this weight of guilt. Sometimes we bottle up our guilt inside uh, and act like it's not even there. That's not that big of a deal. I uh, just won't worry about it. I'll just go on my daily routine, my daily life, and act like it's not even there. Sometimes we sugarcoat it. Sometimes we say to ourselves, it's, it's not that, it wasn't that bad what I did what, how I, I know I did something wrong, but it really didn't hurt anybody. It's not, that, it's not that big of a deal, so I'm just not going to worry about it. Sometimes we try to medicate our guilt. Sometimes we seek uh, things like alcohol, pornography, drugs, food. And the list goes on and on and on, which causes more guilt and sends us into a cycle of escape behaviors which cause, more, which, which, which cause us to, to, to bear this weight and this guilt even more so in our life. Uh, even we as Christians, we struggle this way with guilt. And, and, and when, when we deal with our guilt in ways such as these, when we sugarcoat it, when we bottle it up inside, when we medicate it with something else, uh, when we ignore it, when we shift the blame, we're allowing ourselves to be weighed down by the very things that Jesus died to set us free from. God doesn't want us to feel this way. God doesn't want us to bear the weight of guilt in the Christian life. Because when you bear the weight of guilt and you are not living in God's forgiveness and experiencing the freedom and release that forgiveness brings, you can't possibly bring glory to God in the way that He has designed you to bring glory to Him. So we as Christians, we need to know how to handle our guilt, how to process our guilt so that we can live the way that God has designed us to live as children of the Almighty, and uh, to, to live in a state of forgiveness, to live in the freedom of forgiveness, to live in the release of forgiveness. We need to know how to process our guilt whenever we do things wrong um, so that we um, can experience the life that God has called us to and bring ultimate glory to Him. Now what we're going to do with that thought in mind, we're going to look at Psalm chapter 32 um, and see what the psalmist David helps us to see uh, about processing this heavy weight, this heavy load of guilt that we so often bear. Take out your Bible with me. Uh, and turn to, the, turn to Psalm 32. We're going to be looking at it from the New American Standard Version this morning. David says this in verses 1, 1 and 2. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. If you look in the original Hebrew, the word that's rendered blessed is ashrei. And you could also render it as joyful, as happy, as blessed. And what David is saying here that the, the forgiven life, 
The life that has been forgiven by God's grace is the happy life. It's the joyful life. It's the blessed life. You know, we often use that term, the life, to describe something that uh, we think is uh, a kind of life that's worth living, a kind of life that we uh, should pursue. You know, you're sitting on the beach with your toes in the sand and you see the waves roll gently um, onto the shoreline. And all of us just uh, wish we could be at the beach, you know, probably when I, when I say that. But that's what we would say as the life. That's the life, to be at the beach, to have no problems, to have no worries. David says here in this psalm that the life, the kind of life that leads to joy and happiness in God is the forgiven life. We can have blessedness in forgiveness. And that's just so true. When I think about my my personal relationships, when we, when we think about our personal, personal relationships uh, with people, when, um, when those are damaged, when those are broken because somebody does something to uh, someone else, and then we go and seek forgiveness for the things that we've done wrong in interpersonal relationships, and then that person forgive, forgives us of what we've done wrong, it's like this huge burden that's been lifted off of our shoulders, isn't it? It feels so good when forgiveness runs its full course in our interpersonal relationships. And it's something that you have probably experienced as, as, as well in your life. Now, that feeling, that feeling of forgiveness when it runs its course in our relationships, that feeling of freedom and release... It's magnified infinitely when forgiveness happens between us and God. When I grow in my Christian faith and I come even more so to understand the weight of my sin, how atrocious and horrible sin is in the eyes of a holy God, not just those people's sin, but my sin, my personal iniquity, ...that I have committed, when I come to understand the realization of my sin more... ...and at the same time realize how much God has given me grace from my iniquities and from my sins... ...as I grow in that understanding of the salvation that I have... ...that salvation becomes even sweeter and sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. That's the forgiven life. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. That's the life, the forgiven life. Blessed is the woman whose sin is covered by God. Blessed is the one who has nothing to hide before the Lord, but is completely honest in their spirit. They don't conceal anything. They, hide, they, don't hide, they don't keep anything bottled up inside, but they lay it bare before the Lord. And they say, Lord, this is who I am, and this is what I have done. David says, happy is that person. That's the life, the forgiven life. It's the joyful life, the happy life. But, of course, the opposite of that reality is true as well. 
If the forgiven life is the happy life, then the life with unresolved guilt is the cursed life. And that's what David alludes to in the next part of the psalm. Look with me in verse 3 and verse 4. David says this, When I kept silent about my sin, my body, it wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality, my strength was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Now, we of course can see that David doesn't give us a doctrinal dissertation here on guilt and grief. What he gives us is a personal testimony, a personal experience of his own struggle with unresolved guilt. Notice the way that he expounds upon the, uh, the, the nature of this guilt inside. He, paint, he paints this, this vi- very vivid picture of what it's like to live with guilt, to live with unresolved guilt. When he kept silent about his sin, look at what the text says. He says that my body... It wasted away. Another way that you can translate that is that you can say, my bones, my skeleton, my insides wasted, wasted away. It's like David can feel almost the physical effects of a terminal illness ripping him apart from the inside out when he lives with this unresolved guilt. Uh, He also says that he groans Every waking moment when he bears the weight of guilt. Uh, the Hebrew word that's rendered groanings in this passage, uh, it, it's, it has to do with an, an emotional response. That's a mixture of torment. It's a mixture of fear and, and physical wailing, crying. Uh, it's, it's the way that uh, th- this same Hebrew word is used to describe Job. Remember Job? Remember everything that he went through? Oh, the pain and heartache and suffering that he endured in his life. In Job chapter 3, verse 24 through 26, Job says, For my sighing comes instead of my bread, and my groanings are poured out like water. For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I'm not at ease nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. That's what it's like, David says, to live with unresolved guilt. He also says that, uh, that, that your hand was heavy upon me. It's, it's like God's hand of divine judgment is, is on his shoulders. There, there's no peace. There's no peace. We as human beings, we uh, need peace. Don't we? To function properly, to be who God has called us to be. We need to be in a state of peace, to function, to live, to thrive, to be who God wants us to be. When unresolved unresolved guilt remains, there is no peace. There's no peace. He also says that it's like dealing with unresolved guilt. It's like um, living constantly in the scorching heat of summer. Uh, Every single one of you know mid-August rolls around. It's hot. It's humid. 
You take a shower, you get all cooled off and, uh, and everything. But as soon as you step outside, what happens? You just burst into sweat again because of the heat and the, and, and the humidity. It's, it, it's miserable. It can be miserable. And that's the picture of what it's like to live with this unbearable weight of guilt that David himself bears. David says that he's miserable. He's completely miserable when he lives with this unresolved guilt because he keeps silent about his sin. He tries to hide it. He tries to cover it up so that God can't see it. How silly is that? Think about that with me for a minute. David, he's miserable because he has all of this unresolved guilt. And what does he do? What's, what's his natural instinct? He tries to hide it. He tries to make it seem like it's not there. He tries to conceal it from the sight of God. It, isn't that what we do sometimes? I don't know about you, that's what I have done. We, have, we as fallen humanity, this is what we naturally do. This is what we have a natural tendency to do when we have guilt in our life, when we have unresolved guilt. We try to hide it. We try to make it seem like it didn't happen or it's not that big of a deal. Why do we do that? Many reasons, I'm sure. Self-righteousness, probably. Shame. A belief that... God is not going to accept somebody like me because of what I have done. Maybe, maybe things like that. But if you think about it logically, knowing the God that we worship and serve, hiding our sin before a God that is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent is the most futile thing that you can do. It is completely silly to try to hide your iniquity in the eyes of a God who can see everything. Because God knows you better than you know you. <laughs> but that's what we do, isn't it? Sometimes. And it causes misery. It causes destruction. It causes us to wither away and groan and be without peace and be miserable. And that's the way David feels. When he lives with unresolved guilt. So, but that's not the end of the story. David in the psalm, he recognizes the futility of trying to hide his sin. And this is what he does. Notice with me in verse 5. Finally, I acknowledged my sin to you. And my iniquity, I didn't hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what did God do? And you forgave the guilt of my sins. David essentially says, God, I can't do it anymore. I can't hide my sin in your sight any longer. It's killing me. It's killing me from the inside out. I'm so miserable because of this weight of guilt that I have in this life. And this is what he did. He acknowledged his sin before God. He didn't shift the blame. He didn't try to sugarcoat it. He didn't try to medicate it. He acknowledged that he had sinned, that he had 
committed wrongdoing in the eyes of God. He, 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 didn't, he, he didn't hide it. He didn't try to conceal it. But rather, he revealed it. He laid his heart bare, wide open, and said, God, this is me. This is what I have done. And he's being completely honest. Complete honesty, he decides to do. And then he says, I will confess it. He essentially says, I am the sinner. And confession in this context, it, it implies not just an acknowledgement of sin, not just a uh, revealing of sin, but a revulsion of sin as well. That's what confession implies in this context. When David, said, when David confesses his sin, he is deciding in his mind that what he has done and what he has become revulses him. And he wishes so badly, so badly, that he had gone another way. And that iniquity that dwells in him, he hates it. He hates it. And he doesn't want to do it anymore. And then what happened in the psalm? God does something extremely unexpected. God forgave him. God forgave him? Really? You know, as we look at this um, psalm, this pattern that we see, acknowledgement, not hiding our sin, confessing it, that pattern of confession, it's not just something that we find within the Psalms. It's not just something that's within the Old Testament that, that's not applicable to our life as New Testament Christians whatsoever. This is the heart of the gospel and our response to it. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Jesus says, And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Here's the parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. What's the Pharisee doing? He's essentially praying to himself about himself. He's not acknowledging the fact that he's just as spiritually bankrupt as this tax collector that he's putting down. But now notice the tax collector's attitude in verse 13. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Be merciful to me, the sinner. He follows this same pattern, does he not? He acknowledges his sin. He says, this is me. This is what I've done. This is what I've become. He doesn't try to hide it. He doesn't try to sugarcoat it. He doesn't try to medicate it. He doesn't try to shift the, shift the blame on, uh, onto a, a, another, another person. And he confesses. 
He confesses everything that he has done and all that he has become. And this is what Jesus says concerning both states of both of these people. Verse 14, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. The good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that there is free, unlimited forgiveness for all who come to Him, for all who lay their hearts bare, all who are honest in His sight and submit to His conditions of salvation. What they find, what those people find who come to Him in faith and confess their iniquity, confess their wrongdoing, what they find is a life that's marked by forgiveness and grace and mercy because of who God is. Acknowledge your sin. Don't hide it. Confess it. And God will cover it. That's the cornerstone of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Continuing in our psalm, verse 6. Therefore... Let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will, they, they, they will not reach him. You, God, God, you are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. So God, in our passage, he not only forgives David... When, he brings, when David brings his guilt to him, but he gives, God gives David some things. He gives him shelter. David says, God, you are my hiding place. I can go to you for refuge when I confess my sin. Uh, he gives him, God gives David protection. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with your loving kindness, as he says later in the psalm. And he also goes on to say uh, that the psalm kind of flips and God begins speaking rather than David in verse 8. God says, I will instruct you, David, and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. He gives him not only shelter and protection, but he gives him direction. God not only wants to forgive his sins, but he wants to direct him in the path that he should go and and give him instruction, give him sound teaching, give him counsel that's going to produce blessing in his existence, in his eternal existence. And the same is true for us. When we follow this pattern of confession, as we see within the Psalms, God will provide shelter. God will provide protection. God will provide direction. Uh, when, 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 we try, when we try to hide our sin, there's no peace, there's no joy in that. But when we confess, when we confess our sin and not hide it, we are free to hide in God. You can either hide in your sin or you can hide in God. And hiding in God is so much better, to say the very least, than hiding in your sin. God gives you shelter. 
He gives you protection. When, when I hide in Him, He protects me from sin. He shelters me from sin. He gives me freedom and release from this guilt that I bear and allows me to be blessed. Blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven, whose iniquity and transgression is, for, is covered. He gives me direction. He transforms me. He teaches me by His Word. He instructs me. He counsels me as I remain in Him, as I follow Him, as I fully trust in His ability to cover all of my iniquities and all of my sins. He teaches me. He instructs me to be like Him. And then David continues. He says, don't don't be as a horse or as a mule which has no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. In other words, David is saying, don't, don't be like this senseless animal that has to be forced to come to, his, to its master. When you experience this guilt, when you transgress, go to Jesus. Go to the cross. Flee to God. Don't be like this senseless animal that has to be forced to do so. But do so automatically. Flee to God. Flee to Him. There's enough mercy and grace to be found in Him for those who are contrite and penitent in heart. You know, that's, that describes most people in the world today, unfortunately. Um, those that don't flee to God when they feel this weight of guilt. Uh, they, it's because they love self-exaltation. It's because they love their own glory so, so much and are so self-righteous that they're blind to their need for a Savior, for their need to come to Jesus and be healed. And it's killing them from the inside out, whether they, whether they realize it or not. Don't be that way. Don't be that way, church. Don't be so self-righteous that you see your sin as nothing at all. A preacher once said it this way. It's impossible to heal what you won't reveal. Let me say it again. It's impossible to heal that which you will not reveal. But when we do come to Him, we find mercy and grace in our time of need. Lastly, this morning, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. David says that guilt, unresolved guilt, it eats you alive if you allow it to endure. And it results in many sorrows. Many are the sorrows of the wicked because of the guilt that they bear in keeping with the context of the psalm. But those who trust, those who come to the feet of Jesus and trust His character and trust His grace, God's loving kindness his steadfast love, His loyal love, it shall surround them. It shall protect them. 
it shall shield them. And they'll have reason to shout and be glad because they are living in the blessedness of forgiveness. Whatever you've done, wherever you've been, whatever you've indulged yourself with, the Bible teaches that the power of Jesus' blood far exceeds the power of your indwelling guilt. When Jesus died on the cross, God drove a nail through the heart of your guilt. And when you were baptized into Jesus Christ and you contacted that blood, you began a journey. You began a process of becoming like Him every day. And the blessing that you have that began at your baptism, the blessing that you have is that you don't have to live with unresolved guilt. You can take your iniquity, take your guilt to Him. Follow the same pattern of David and find grace and mercy from God. So deal with your guilt by bringing it to the feet of Jesus and He'll give you the good life, the life, the forgiven life, the blessedness of forgiveness, and you will be able you will be enabled to give glory to the God that loves you more than you could ever know. If anyone has anything that they need this morning, why don't you come as we stand and as we